Hey, this is Dave Ryder from New Spring Church here in beautiful Perth, Western Australia. Really praying that this message is going to help you. If you'd like some more information about our story, just head to newspring.org.au. I don't know if you're anything like me, but have you ever been in a situation where you're the first one up at home and everyone else is sleeping? Have you ever been in that situation before? And um, the problem is, you know you've actually got to go somewhere. There's actually something you got up. But for some reason, you set your alarm, no one else has set their alarm. So you're walking around and um, you know at some stage everyone's got to wake up. But you're the only one awake. So what do I do? I don't know if you're like me, but what do I do? I start off kind of gradually. I'm like walking around the house and like, I firstly start off by opening up the doors. You know, like, like make sure our, our bedroom door's open, Kayla and Jackson's door open, because I want, I want them to hear the sounds of the woken world, right? <laughs> that, that, that's kind of the, like, what you're hoping, isn't it? Like, like you're doing that and you're walking around and you're like kind of hoping that's going to happen, but, but, but you know, that, that doesn't work because like, especially like Jackson and Kayla, when they're asleep, they are asleep, you know? Um, they are asleep. In fact, we had Jess Murray over for dinner on Tuesday um, night. And um, if you've ever encountered Jess, she's loud, right? Right? So she is like having in a dinner table and the kids are just dead asleep. That's how, like if you know Jess, you know, that's how they sleep, dead asleep. So like that kind of happens. If that doesn't work, then I start making a little bit of noise. Anyone else? Like on purpose, I might just bump something. I might just walk past their bedroom, like, like sort of just like... I'm more like, like, come on. <laughs> and um, sometimes that works. A lot of times that doesn't work. And then, you know, then you come to the point where you say, okay, time's running now. I actually need to get these people up. You know, I don't know what they're doing. They know we need, need to go, we need to go out. So the time finally comes like, okay, knock on the door. Come on, Kayla, time to get up. Jackson, time to get up. Andrew, babe, like, oh, come on, come on. It's time, time to get up. Anyone else been in that same scenario? But then you enter into this other kind of period of time. Right? Because, and you have to be aware of it because you're in this moment where, like, I am fully awake, but the rest of the family, they're only half awake. So it takes them a little bit of time. And, and then you kind of like have to go through the process, like, they're a little bit disoriented, like walking out, and like, like, so like, you know, Kayla might come out with her eyes like that. And like, she's like at that preteen kind of like kind of moment. So you don't know what's going to come out. Like if she's going to be like happy or like daddy or something like that. Everyone's a little bit disoriented and um, a little bit slumbery. And um, then you kind of finally waking that everyone's awake and then we can move on. I don't know about you, but there are times in our household where that's kind of the scenario, isn't it? The kind of moment where you're a little bit disoriented, you're a little bit slumbery, you're a little bit dozy. Um, I think that um, there's a bit of a consensus around the world that um, a large part of the, of the world may be a little bit slumbery at the moment. And um, just in that moment of not really asleep, but kind of half awake, half asleep. And, and sometimes you might even find it in your own place or, or maybe um, in your workplace or anything. Um, there might be some times you need to make a little bit of noise around the house, might like, like sort of like um, get people's attention because the sights, the sounds, the wonders of the woken world, you want that to start infiltrating those who are a little bit of sleep and actually wake them up. Does that make a little bit of sense? And I completely get it because over the last two and a half years, I have been a little bit disoriented myself. Has anyone been like disoriented over the last couple of years? I've been a little bit disoriented. You rest of your life. 
You, you are definitely lying. <laughs> a little bit slumbering. It's been a really odd, unique kind of place. Um, I've found personally that um, I've been disoriented. I've also found that my mind has been processing the world differently to what it previously had been processing. And personally, over the last couple of months, I would say one and a half to two months, there has been a real shift in me. It's almost like I've been like, kind of like dozing around. And over the last one and a half to two months, it's been like, oh, bang. Oh, okay. I've seen something that's very familiar, which has caught my attention. Um, at the team night, I said, I feel like the waters are starting to stir again. I don't know if this sentiment would resonate with anyone, but like really this week as I was thinking, praying, I just kept on having this, that, that, that one line keep coming back to me over and over again. Aslan is on the move. And everything changes when God moves. Because I know as soon as I feel God's moving, I'm like, okay, I'm going to follow I have to follow. As soon as Aslan's on the move, as soon as God's moving, as soon as something's happening, as soon as I'm aware of it, I want to be in the thick of it. I want to be right there. And that is just kind of um, where I'm at at the moment. So for my time that I get to actually share in June and July, I've been wanting to do a little bit of a, like that, hitting the alarm. Just figuring out, say, okay, where are we as a church? Are we kind of like half asleep? Are we awake? Are we kind of dozing? Um, and all of those things are okay. That's fine. But what I would love to do is actually, as a church, make us aware that there is a woken world which is moving on right now, that God is actually on the move, that we have actually gone through a very, very unique time. We will look back in history and say, that was such a unique time. We've learned a lot of things. We've addressed a lot of things. We've had to go through a lot of things. But at this time and this moment, um, there is a call that God's actually on the move, and I am very, very intrigued to see where he goes. And where I am right now, and I've got to, like, I'm being honest with you, I wasn't in this place three months ago, right? But where I am right now, I'm kind of intrigued to see where God wants to go. And I'm just simply asking the question, does anyone want to go with? Anyone? I'm really, really intrigued. What I've been wanting to do is actually come back to our purpose statement. Um, we, um, we, we, we as, as a team, we, 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 um, we discerned, we came together as volunteers and as leaders, and uh, we actually brought forth this purpose statement um, collectively, and we said a big amen to it. Our purpose statement begins with a really significant sentence. It begins with the sentence, we are image bearers of God that reflect his love. The very first six words of our purpose statement set the tone, not just for New Spring Church, but it actually sets the tone for the entire church collectively, the universal church, so the, 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 the whole church. But not just that, it actually sets the tone for the biblical narrative. And not only that, those first six words actually give us definition as to what you, your vocation and my vocation is as humans under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. What does it mean to be human? The first six words are this. We are image bearers of God. They're the first six words. 
with the image bearers of God. It's those first six words that allow us to confidently and like um, just, just so intentionally say that we seek God's heart and dare to see places of despair as opportunities where God's kingdom breaks in and breaks forth so people discover what it is to be truly human. Have you ever thought about that paragraph? That's an insane paragraph. I mean, who in the world would have the audacity to say, we, we, we actually see places of despair as opportunities? People see places of despair as places of despair and walk away. But as New Spring Church planted here, right on the border of Gosnells and Amda, we dare to see places of despair as places of opportunities where God's kingdom breaks in and breaks forth so that people discover what it means to be truly human. We actually believe that. Why is that? Because we are image bearers of God who reflect his love. That purpose statement is founded on a theological truth that permeates our entire being as the people of God. It informs us that in the biblical narrative, in the Bible story, something was lost. But right now, right here, Right now, 26th of June, 2022, let me remind us, beautiful church, that that which was lost has now been reclaimed and restored. Right now, right here. And that is the wake-up call for every Christian, I don't care where you are. There was something that was lost, but is now reclaimed. And now that it's been reclaimed, guess what? Our job is to figure out how we walk in it. What does it mean to be an image bearer of God? I want to talk a little bit about that today because that's this real Christianese kind of thing that everyone says, yeah, I'm an, I'm an image bearer of God. What does it mean? What does that mean? got a slide um, from um, last year. We, we introduced a metaphor to our church to help us faithfully live out this Christian life. It's called the fifth act. Um, so that slide will be coming up. And what we were saying, this is taken from um, Tom Wright and other theologians who see the biblical narrative as you can look at it as like this, this story which has five different acts. And if you read the Bible as a story, you're going to understand the Bible. Unfortunately, we've got a tradition where we pick and choose scriptures and we might be able to memorize a scripture, but you don't understand the story. And if you don't understand the story, you're not going to understand your place within it and then you won't be able to actually revel in this kingdom that we're invited to revel in. So the first act is the act of creation found in Genesis. Second act is the fall. We're going to talk a little bit about the fall, what happened there. The third act is the call of Abraham and consequently the story of Israel. Fourth act is the story of Jesus. Who loves the story of Jesus? And then the fifth act is where we are right here. 26th of June, we're in the fifth act right now. And the idea is that to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, that we are supposed to improvise the story of God faithfully right here, right now. And the way that we can faithfully improvise the story of God is actually by knowing the story of God. The story of God has a trajectory, it has a beginning, it has an end. We're somewhere in, like, like in that fifth act. And if we understand the story, then we can understand, oh, this is what it means to actually be the people of God. So as we move forward, act number one, act one. Everyone say act one. Act one. Act one. I'm definitely not going to get through this. You should come tonight or at least watch on YouTube. Act one introduces us to the plans of God, the intentions of God and that of creation. Act one has this significant verse, Genesis 1 verse 26, um, which is where we actually get the first sentence of our purpose statement. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. 
Let us make humans in our image. God begins by revealing to humanity who he is in a specific time and place in human history. It is a time and place which is known as the ancient Near East. Okay, And in the ancient Near East, God communicates to people who are in that period. And our um, difficulty and our challenge is to actually figure out what exactly were you saying? Because what you were saying is exactly what you're saying right now. So during this time of history, this time and place, there was some common knowledge which everyone knew, not just um, those who served Yahweh, but other people of the region. Everyone knew this. This was very, very common. And funnily enough, God actually uses common knowledge in order to reveal who he is. Isn't that so great? One of the things that everyone knew at this time was how a God built a temple. All right? How a God built a temple. It was common knowledge. Everyone knew in the ancient Near East that a God would build a temple in seven days. Have you ever wondered why there's seven days of creation in the Genesis narrative? It's almost like you've got two creations. Genesis 1 verse 1. In the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. That's the creation narrative right there. And then he goes on to seven days. And on the seventh day, God rests. Well, in the ancient Near East, when you build a temple, you build it in six days on the seventh day. That particular God, guess what that God did? Came in and occupied that temple and rested. In other words, that God comes in and occupies the area. Book of Hebrews talks about that rest is still available to us. I wonder what rest the author of the book of Hebrews is talking about. Is he talking about taking a slumber? Or is he talking about partnering with God as he is coming in to occupy and take control and take over what is rightfully his? That changes the idea that we can actually enter into his rest. They didn't enter into his rest because they did not mix faith. They were disobedient, but we can actually still enter into that. Anyway. We're not in the book of Hebrews, are we? So on the seventh day, God comes and he occupies the temple to rest. Another thing which um, the ancient Near East people knew is that a temple is not complete until an idol or a statue is placed. And an idol or a statue is um, a statue that represents or images that temple's God. Okay. So if you can kind of get your mind into that kind of idea to understand this is the world into which God is beginning to reveal himself to humanity. And we've got this narrative which talks about this. You can start to understand, wait a minute. So our good creative God, he is the creator of heavens and earth, but he is building a temple into which he desires to take up residence. Temples. Common knowledge back in the day, also common knowledge today. Temples are sacred space. Temples are literally spaces where heaven and earth intersect. In other words, a temple is literally heaven on earth. That's what a temple is. That's what a temple is. But the temple space can only be complete when Yahweh's representatives or images are placed within that sacred space, the heaven which is on earth. So God said, let us make human beings in our image. That's the reason, to complete this temple. So Adam and Eve are formed and they're placed in this sacred space, this temple. And they are created with a distinctly unique status. They image God. 
They are God's images. They function as God's representatives. And this status or this vocation has an outworking. So we read immediately after Genesis 1, 26, verse 27 and 28, which says, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. All the ladies? Male and female? You okay with that? Because it's right there. Male and female, he created them. I'm so good that we get to do this, male and female. Aren't you glad about that? If you're not, I'm happy. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky and the animals that scurry on the ground. I want you to understand this picture. This is garden, this temple, this sacred space that God creates. What do you think is outside of this sacred space? Well, outside of this sacred space is chaos, is disorder, is non-function. I didn't say dysfunction, I said non-function. So, Adam and Eve are created, and they are given this vocation to be image bearers of God. And they are told to rule and to reign, which means they are currently in the garden, and their vocation means they are now pushing the garden out. And as they push the garden out, places of chaos become places of shalom. Places of disorder become ordered. Places of non-function become functioning places. There's a garden, and the idea is to push it out, push it out, push it out, push it out, push it out. And that is the glory that is placed upon them. That is the glory of man. For all have sinned and lost or fallen short, you know, it says fallen short. It's actually for all have sinned and lost the glory of God. What glory are you talking about, Paul? He's talking about that glory. To be image bearers of God, vocational, like, like images of God where we partner with God to push out so that places of despair become places of flourishing. That is it. Act number two. Things go terribly wrong, don't they? We call this the fall. Everyone know about the fall? Do you know everything about the fall? I bet you most of us don't. Um, it's a pretty complicated thing that happens. Genesis 3 talks about there's a rebellion on earth. Everyone knows about the rebellion on earth. All for that fruit, eh? That one little piece of fruit. Why couldn't you just leave that fruit? But Genesis 3 talks about there's a rebellion on earth. And we all know the story about Adam and Eve. I haven't got time to really go through the scriptures. But as a result of this, these humans who had this extraordinary vocation and this glory which was placed upon them, they are exiled out of the garden. The problem is that it's only in the garden that Adam and Eve had access to eternal life. Because eternal life comes from outside of ourselves. There's a tree of life which is in the garden. So if you're exiled out of the garden, you've got no access to eternal life, so exile means you're inevitably going to die. So the consequences of their sin is death. That's what happens. Because you're no longer in sacred space. You're no longer in heaven on earth. You're no longer in a place where God reigns, where God occupies, where God's taken up residence. This is what happens. That's a big problem, isn't it? Huge problem. It's heartbreaking. Absolutely heartbreaking. 
This is a big part of the story, but it's only part of the story of what happens. And the complexities that we actually experience today are part of the complexities that happen in the fall. Genesis 6 lets the sin fills the sin that there's actually another rebellion. There's a rebellion on earth, but there's also a rebellion in the heavenlies that has happened. Genesis 6 verse 1 to 2 says, Then the people of God began to multiply on earth, and the daughters were born to them, the sons of God, um, in the Hebrew, the words Elohim, heavenly beings, heavenly beings. So heavenly beings, the sons of God, saw, these, uh, saw the beautiful women and they took any of them that they wanted. The complication gets far worse because a line is crossed that we're filled in about. There's a rebellion with some heavenly beings that crossed the line. There is these rebellious Elohim or rebellious heavenly beings who saw the beauty of women and they took what was not theirs. Isn't it funny how the propensity of humanity and the sinfulness of us is that we seem to want to take what is not ours. We get in a lot of trouble when we take what is not ours. Isn't that right? Marriages can break down because you can take what is not yours. You can get in a lot of trouble legally because you take what is not yours. Well, this is what happens. So Genesis 3 is pretty bad. Genesis 6 makes it, oh my goodness, what is going on here? This is like crazy, crazy. God, what are you going to do? You've got a rebellion on earth? You've got a rebellion in the heavenlies? It's like everyone's rebelling. I guess it's a vulnerability or a possibility when you're given free will, isn't it? But there's a third event which is recorded for us. In Genesis 11, it's an event, a moment that we know as the Tower of Babel. Anyone familiar with the Tower of Babel? Yeah. Let me just read this in your hearing. And um, at one time, all the people, this is Genesis 11, verse 1 to 9. At one time, all the people in the world spoke the same language and used the same words. As the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia and settled there. They began to say to each other, let's make bricks and harden them with fire. In this region, bricks were used instead of stone, and tar was used for mortar. Then they say, come, let us build a great city for ourselves, and a tower that reaches into the sky. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. But the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower the people were building. Look, he said, these people are united and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they said out will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse the people with different languages. Then they won't be able to understand each other. In that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world and they stopped building the city. That is why the city was called Babel. Because that is where the Lord confused the people with different languages. In this way, he scattered them all over the world. In a moment of arrogance and empire building, people come together in the ancient Near East to build this tower. In the ancient Near East, people came together to build a tower as high as they could because they got as high as they could so that the gods would come down. And when the gods came down, um, other peoples, um, not necessarily the, the, the people of, of, of Yahweh, other peoples, when the gods come down, they can manipulate to get what they want. So it's interesting to me that these people come and they build this tower so that the gods have come down. So what does Yahweh say? Let's go check it out. Let's go check it out. The tower is built for God to come down, so he does. 
And it was built so that they would make a name for themselves, so they would be famous. And it was built so they, to keep them from being scattered all over the world. And as a consequence, there's actually a curse that's actually brought. Verse 8, in the same way the Lord scattered them all over the world and they saw building a city. That is why the city is called Babel, because that is where the Lord confused them, number one, with different languages and he scattered them all over the world. They didn't want to be scattered, they got scattered anyway. This is a moment of fracture in humanity that God is telling us about. There is a moment of division among people. There is confusion because all of a sudden there are different languages. And when you can't understand each other, guess what? You've got barriers, haven't you? There's fracture. There's division. There's hostility. And these people are scattered throughout the world. And that looks pretty bad in and of itself. But then we have a book like Deuteronomy that gives us a commentary on this moment. And it lets us know that not only were the people scattered, but there was a scattering of another kind. Deuteronomy 32, verse 8 to 9, when the Most High assigned lands to the nations, when he divided up the human race, talking about the Tower of Babel moment, he established the boundaries of people according to the number in the heavenly court. For the people of Israel belonged, belonged to the Lord, Jacob, as his special possession. So the story of God goes from that point. Tower of Babel, people are scattered. Not just people are scattered, but there's a scattering of principalities and powers over different regions. Israel become Yahweh's special people. But other regions come under the influence of other principalities, other powers, other Elohim. That's like, you remember that story in Daniel? As Daniel's praying, he gets this vision and a man appears to him. And he says, you know what, I would have come earlier but I was fighting with the prince of Persia. Do you remember that? Michael came. Michael came and he fought. And Michael's still there with the prince of Persia. The prince of Persia is a principality over that region which was scattered from the Tower of Babel. There you go. We're learning some stuff. It's cool, isn't it? So we will look at the second act, the fall. I just need us to know that it's pretty complicated. We, we, we kind of think, you know what, the fall is like a rebellion on earth. No, there's actually a lot more that's happened in the fall, which is why life is so much complex than, than what it is. That's why, for me, like when I see people and, and like even my own self, there's a lot more compassion, a lot more grace, because I know the world is so much more complicated than what meets the eye, right? The problem happened that God, God has to fix, he has to address. Funnily enough, after Genesis 11, the very first thing he does is act number three, he calls Abraham. Straight away, after the problem, after the curse, he implements his rescue plan. But as we know, the problem is the rescue plan is rescuing. Hence, Jesus comes. But this is what happens in the fall. Humans are exiled from the sacred space, from heaven on earth. they cut off from life. There's a rebellion also in the heavenlies, as well as a rebellion on earth. There's a brokenness, there's a fracture, there's hostility between humanity as they are scattered and they have confusion thrust upon them. And then there are different principalities and powers that exert their influence over different regions all over the world. So when we say that Jesus died for my sin, I will jump up and down and I will agree with you. I will say, Amen. But that does not tell me why we as a church could boldly, confidently say we seek God's heart and dare to see places of despair as opportunities where God's kingdom breaks in and breaks forth so people discover what it means to be truly human. You see? It lets me back into the sacred space. 
But how does that inform me? How I can now return to that vocation of truly being human, an image bearer where I now push out God's new creation if the other issues have not been addressed. If there are still principalities and powers and uh, like exerting their influence, how can I still do that? What about the glory? All have sinned and lost the glory of God. What about being an image bearer of God? What does it mean to be truly human? I'm going to wrap up and leave you hanging. No. The problem of the fall, the victory of Jesus Christ, has addressed every single one of those problems. Every single one. A couple of years ago, um, word came to us that in Memorial Park, there are these interesting individuals, they call themselves witches and warlocks. They are doing sacred ceremonies, their rituals in Memorial Park. So my thinking was, what a great place to go and do prayer meetings. So we've been doing our prayer meetings there. Have you ever wondered why? Why would Dave say such a thing? I mean, a lot of Christians I know are very riddled with fear, very superstitious. Very superstitious. Why is it that David would say, oh, there's witches and warlocks doing stuff in Memorial Park. Let's go pray. Let's go worship. It is because I want to stand in, position us in. I want New Spring to experience everything that the victory of Jesus Christ has accomplished. Everything. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you don't need to be scared. Scripture is very, very, very clear in the New Testament. You read, like even going through that stuff with the fall, you now read the New Testament. You go read Paul and you will see he addresses every single thing. What does it, dis- what does it mean to disarm the principalities and the powers? Wait a minute, they're disarmed? Yeah. You bet they are. If you're a Christian... So you've got evil and like forces rocking around, dehumanizing people. And there's some Christians a little bit scaredy cat. But if you understand what Jesus did, you just walk into a place. They're there, but they're disarmed. What are you going to do now? Could not care less. You're going to do your rituals there? Fine, we've got to worship the Lord. That's what it means. Here's an interesting one. Colossians 1 verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or in heaven. What's he doing? He's dealing with two rebellions. A rebellion on earth and a rebellion in the heavenlies. See, this thing we're caught up in, guys. This is bigger than we could possibly fathom. And now the job for the church is to discover and to figure out what does it mean to be an image bearer of God? What does it mean? You're going to Collie. There's a whole lot of stuff happening over there. Doesn't mean that you're fearful or scared. Right? Because those principalities and powers that are exerting influence to dehumanize people They've been disarmed. And we as the people of God 
who embody the kingdom of God, we are just waiting to see with expectation and a big grin on our face, saying, you know what? I'm standing right here and the kingdom's about to cut loose in this place. That's what it means. We are image bearers of God. The glory of God which was lost, I am now walking in it and so are you. Enjoy it. Revel in it. This whole thing of the kingdom is supposed to be discovered for us. Why is it that we can look at places like Armadale and Gosnell's and say, you know what? We can do it. I think over the last couple of years, I've probably fallen asleep a little bit. Been occupied with trying to keep things together. Been occupied with trying to lead and... um, been occupied with trying to come to terms with things I do not understand, ways that I do not understand. But God has been very clear with me. Aslan is on the move. Who wants to come with? I think it's a reminder for us. Anyway, I've been around there so we can go and eat a morning tea. Do you guys understand that? Father, we do come before you in Jesus' name. Father, we want to understand your story. You're so gracious and so loving in the way that you've communicated and articulated to us, Lord. Everything that was lost has now been reclaimed, Lord. And we as your church, as we sit here, as we stand here, Lord, we want to be faithful in that vocation, Lord. Father, I pray for a spirit of courage to fall upon this church. I pray for a pioneering spirit, Lord. Eyes that see opportunities. Eyes that say yes, not eyes that say no. Holy Spirit, would you come and lead and would you guide us, not just collectively, but individually. For those of us who are just guests today, I pray that in your own arenas that you would revel in the kingdom. That you would discover new facets of God in this kingdom in the way that he wants you to function and move. And there would, there would be freedom in being flexible and improvising the story of God. Father, we pray that your kingdom will come, that your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.